0: Coming up on the KetoCamp Podcast, we welcome back the one, the only, Megan Ramos. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the KetoCamp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations Hey Keto Camper, Ben Azati here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast, best-selling author of Keto Flex, and the founder of Keto Camp. Today is an awesome episode with, you know who she is, Megan Ramos. Megan Ramos has been such a leader, along with her colleague Dr. Jason Fung, in the space of intermittent fasting, low-carbohydrate diets, ketogenic diets, and healing conditions like insulin resistance, diabetes, etc., on this episode, we're going to dive deep into insulin resistance and why snacking could be the culprit and how it's a sneaky little thing that takes years to develop, but then when you're diagnosed, it's a problem. So why not be proactive instead of reactive? She's going to speak about that. She's going to give you some advanced strategies for somebody who has been doing fasting but you hit a plateau or you've been doing keto and you hit a plateau. You're going to learn about her 32-16 method and some other methods. She's also going to share some ways to get started with fasting. She's going to speak about the importance of keto flexing. Megan loves the keto flexing approach that I teach, that I write about in my book, Keto Flex. Heck, she endorsed Keto Flex. Honored to have her endorsement. We're going to get into that. This conversation was pulled from my Keto Kickstart Challenge that took place May of earlier this year. This is the first time this episode has been released to the public. I decided to release it to you as a special episode because it was such an amazing conversation. We are currently going through another Keto Kickstart Challenge right now during the release of this episode. During these seven days, we are diving deep into keto fasting ancient healing strategies. It's a free challenge. We have guest speakers that include Dr. Mindy Peltz, Dr. Benjamin Bickman, Dr. Rebecca Warren, Barton Scott, and others. So if you want to join this, it's not too late. If you're listening to this episode with Megan today on the day of the release, all you did was miss the first session. There are seven total sessions, and you could still watch the replay from the first session. So head to ketocampchallenge.com. After you finish this episode, sign up or do it right now. Sign up. Let's get you in there. Everything is hosted in a private Facebook group, and it's 100% free unless you upgrade your membership. We'd love to have you in there. It has been absolutely incredible already. Ketocampchallenge.com to get signed up for this free challenge taking place right now. It's running from September 7th through September 14th. So it's not too late. Get in there. Let's see you on those live streams. All right, let's dive deep into this amazing conversation with Megan Ramos. Coming up right now, the one and only Megan Ramos. Megan Ramos is a Canadian not anymore. She's actually in California. Former Canadian clinical researcher, she joined Dr. Jason Fung many, many years ago. She has worked closely with Dr. Jason Fung. Many of you know who he is. Uh, she ha- is a world leader in therapeutic fasting, low carbohydrate diets, and has guided over ten thousand people worldwide on fasting, keto, et cetera, Protocols. Megan Ramos has been on the Keto Camp podcast and Keto Camp po- uh, YouTube channel several times. We're going to bring her back very soon. She's also written this amazing book. I believe it's a New York Times bestseller. I got to ask her, but uh, Life in the Fasting Lane, How to Make Intermittent Fasting a Lifestyle and Reap the Benefits of Weight Loss for Better Health with Dr. Jason Fung, Eve Mayer. So everybody get this book as well. So without further ado, here is the amazing Megan Ramos. Hey, Megan, good to see you.
1: (laughs) Hey, Ben, it's great to see you as well.
0: Was that book a New York Times bestseller?
1: It was. It was short-lived on the New York Times bestseller list, but we made it in our first week. Uh, we launched, the the book was released on April 7th, 2020, just as sort of the world was going into extreme and utter chaos. So I we weren't sure if there was going, if people were going to get it. We thought it was a good read. Uh, and then ironically, a good read, especially going into the pandemic with a lot of anxiety and fear and people perhaps not eating the way that they hope to eat. Um, It was of all of the books that Jason's written and that I've contributed to, I thought this one was the most suitable for the time. So I'm happy people did embrace it. So, yeah, we hit we hit the list, which was pretty cool. It's my first authored book, so not a bad start to my uh, writing career. <laughs> oh,
0: my God. You set the bar pretty high with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Now, no, no pressure, right? <laughs>
0: no, no pressure. Are you writing a new book right now?
1: Yeah, I am. It's, it's largely focused on a female journey, uh, so I, I'm excited to share about that because there's a lot – really weird things out there uh, about women and fasting. And of course, women and men have a very different physiology and biochemistry. But uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's unsafe. Uh, But there's different approaches, perhaps, that we might take with women and men. And then especially depending on the female's goals, like if they're younger and uh, menstruating, looking for fertility versus, you know, going through menopause, postmenopausal, what their health situation is there and their health goals. So. Um, so I'm going to take a look at that. So we'll see. That should be out next year. I'm actually chatting with my publisher next week to talk about how the manuscript's gone so far. Um, so, no, no pressure to do well with this one. <laughs>
0: yeah, no pressure. Yeah. if you don't hit New York Times bestseller, it's uh, you're going to crush it. We're going to help you become a bestseller. Everybody's going to get your book. And if you haven't gotten Life in the Fasting Lane, go get it. It's on Amazon. It's it's on Audible. It's on Kindle. It's on hardcover. It's all over the place. I remember. I remember the book came out right after the, the shutdowns and the pandemic, everything that was happening, yeah. and uh, you couldn't go to the bookstores. But then I remember you finally were able to go to the bookstore in Canada, and you posted a photo of like just excitement mm-hmm. at, at Bar- I think, Barnes & Noble's, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, the Canadian equivalent, it's called Chapters Indigo. Yeah, I had to go in like a full biohazard suit, but they let me in to see it on the shelf. Uh, They're only letting massive store, like massive store, uh, the only letting in about 20 people at a time. So we waited in line outside and went inside in our biohazard stuff, but we're given a time for how long we could stay in there. But it was really nice to see it. And Actually, recently, uh, we went to our local Barnes and Nobles here. So I, during this pandemic, I moved from Toronto to San Francisco or the, uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. And we had to pick up some books for uh, a, one of our friend's kids. We haven't met their kids before. And I said, I wonder if it's here. And it was there. And it had, you know, facing out on the shelf. I was like, oh, this is so cool.
0: You're <laughs> so cool. It, it is really cool to see that. And no doubt your next book is going to be the same. It's probably going to be bigger and better. Do you have a timeline on when you think that'll be released?
1: I will find out next Wednesday. But early next year, I think, is what they're aiming for.
0: Awesome. That's going to be exciting. Perfect for the new year. So I, I actually put a comment for Megan's book in the comment section of the stream. You could go ahead and buy that book. I recommend you all get the book. Megan, I know your story. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the people on here know your story, but I think it's important for those who are not really familiar with your story, your pain to purpose to promise message of when you were, I believe, 15 years old, struggling with your health, going through a lot of health issues. Could you get into that and explain your little your journey and how you got discovered Dr. Jason Fong?
1: No problem. Yeah. So I apologize if if you've heard this before. Um, growing up, my mom was really, really sick, and I became very health conscious at a young age. So when doctors shared certain information with me, even as a kid, you know, I it really. Suck in with me. We were always in and out of the hospitals because my mom and my uncle died at 36 from his third heart attack. So, uh, for a nine year old, I was nine at the time, you know, I was in the fear of cholesterol and dietary fat, everything was deeply ingrained in me at a young age. At the age of 12, I remember the first time uh, reviewing ultrasound results and being told I had fatty liver disease. And at the age of 14, I was told I had PCOS. I started getting really uncomfortable cramping. Uh, My dad took me to the hospital because I was so painful and there was cyst rupturing. And then they diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I knew that I wanted to be a mom from such a young age. I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to work with kids. I couldn't wait. You know, I was babysitting. I loved it. So that sunk in with me at a whole different level because the doctors started talking about fertility issues. So, you know, even 12, 14, being diagnosed with these health conditions, just with my family history and everything, they really, it was scary. You know, I I learned that life was really precious, uh, especially with my uncle passing at such a young age. I was old enough when he passed to know that my three little cousins weren't going to even have memories of their dad. So I was really keen on preventative medicine (laughs) from elementary school, uh, really trying to see how lifestyle, what we could do to prevent disease. And when I was 15, it was time to start doing summer jobs. And my father's friend, Owned this nephrology program, and he was the director of nephrology. Nephrology is the study of kidney disease uh, in pretty much the province that I came from back home in Canada. And his facility is programmed did to tons of research, really interested in preventative uh, resources, preventative disease, and research. So I chatted with my dad's friend about my interest in preventative medicine, and I started doing research at his clinic that summer. Ironically, at the same time, a young nephrologist, a young medical doctor, kidney doctor started at the clinic and his name was Dr. Jason Fung. And we got paired on some research projects together. I was uh, the student and he was assigned some tasks as he was being onboarded onto the nephrology team. And then I just really, (laughs) I became really passionate about nephrology. We really got to know the patients because we were seeing them so often doing whatever we could to try to help their to slow down the prevent or slow down the, their kidney disease. And there was a real focus there on preventative medicine. Now, flash forwards, you know, another 10 years, I was 25, 26, and realizing that none of, uh, none of what we were doing from an integrative standpoint in under the traditional scope was helping these people get better. And all I got to know these patients and, you know, they were just, passing away more or less from diabetes and obesity left, right and center. So as people become more and more diabetic, their kidneys fail. As people gain weight and have out of control blood pressure, their kidneys fail. And unless you can tackle the diabetes and the obesity, you can't really stop the kidney disease. And I realized that that's all we were doing is just trying to control something that we couldn't necessarily control or at least I didn't think we could at the time So I was actually quite heartbroken. I was like, I want to help people get better. And wow, like I'm just watching people I love die. And I can't do this anymore. I've been doing it for just over a decade. And I thought, okay, you know, I was going through this transitional period in my own life. And I thought, okay, you have these diseases of obesity from childhood that never went away. And my doctors told me at the time they would go away because I was, my BMI was classified as underweight. But in hindsight, I recognized that I was a toffee. I was thin on the outside, but fat on the inside. And I thought, okay, you've got this terrible family history. You yourself have these metabolic conditions. Uh, what- like you need to get it together and you need to find a career that's not resulting in chronic heartbreak. And so I decided to take a year off from studies. I was still working at the clinic and just became kind of obsessed about my, my health. I started following the Canadian food guide. I was forcing myself to eat, It was six to seven times a day. I was working with a fancy dietitian downtown Toronto that cost thousands and thousands of dollars, a personal trainer, all of this stuff. I'd never eaten so much in my life. And actually, in retrospect, I I look back, And boy, I used to fast a whole lot Um, (laughs) in high school and in university. I just didn't eat the right things at the same time. But uh, I was just forcing myself with all of this food and I gained a lot of weight despite doing all of the right things. And you could say I was definitely had insulin resistance at PCOS and fatty liver disease. So it's not a far stretch at that point, especially having had it already for a decade uh, to become diabetic. Which I did. So my doctor delivered the bad news to me just around my 27th birthday. And she said, Megan, like, you know how this goes, she knew my profession. And she said, you know, I'm going to give you three months to try to lose some weight. I don't know what you're doing. Like you say you're doing this stuff. But Megan, you've gained so much weight, your blood sugars. And she just kind of rolled her eyes. She's like three months. We'll repeat your labs. If not, we're going to have to start you on metformin. And you know how that goes. And I know she was trying to incentivize me to lose weight. But like, geez, I was doing everything we were telling patients to do. Um, And I was just getting more and more sick. So I was devastated. uh, Simultaneously, Jason was sort of going through his own hair, you know, tugging situation, he became a doctor to help people. And he wasn't helping people, you know, he was Yes, he was, but not in the way that he wanted to. Uh, He was very keen on disease prevention. And he was actually um, inspired by someone to, from more of a spiritual perspective. A a friend of his was sharing why she spiritually started fasting again and how it resulted in health benefits. And he started doing a deep dive into that because where we were in Toronto was literally the most multicultural place in the entire world. And so many of our patients would periodically fast for religious periods uh, or periods of time for different religions. Um, So like Ramadan, for example, 30 days people wouldn't eat from sunrise to sunset. So he got into looking into a lot of fasting and he started talking about it. I engaged with him on it after hearing him talk to some patients and I began fasting. I didn't really know how to cook. I didn't know how to eat. Like I understood, an avocado was food, but like, we never had them in our house growing up. We pretty much had to take it because my mom was so sick and my dad was just trying to do everything. Um, so I could boil water and I could order food. That was my, those are my cooking skills. So food side of thing was, it was really difficult, but not eating was actually quite easier. And I started to fast And I started to regain control of my health. In one month, I went from a diabetic to a pre-diabetic. And that was pretty cool. And I saw improvement in my liver enzymes. And I even saw a reduction in PMS symptoms in the first couple of months, which was just so amazing. These things that I never thought were possible. So the more I fasted, the better I felt, the more inspired I was to reinvent my diet. And in six months, I mean, I kicked all of this disease to the curb. I dropped my A1C to 6.4%. I no more fatty liver on ultrasound. Liver enzymes are great. And I had no clinical symptoms of PCOS. And I still don't. Um, I'm going to be 37 this August. So I'm actually approaching my 10 year anniversary of this crazy crazy diagnosis that literally set my life on a whole different trajectory. Um, after I had great success, our nephrology colleagues were convinced that we were doing something good. And they, we all agreed that we could start fasting some patients. So we started to see people in our clinic in Toronto. Jason started publishing some books and had a really popular blog. It kind of blew up. We had a two-year wait in Toronto to, for people from all over the world. So I started doing some of the same education from in office online, and then that became a beast in itself is 14 hours a day, uh, uh, seven days a week of helping people. We expanded our team some and we created an online program just to help make it more scalable so more people could have the information on fasting. So um it's just been pretty wild like the last 10 years it's it's pretty crazy it feels actually like it was a long time ago um but uh, we're approaching a, a cool anniversary Um, So, I I feel like, unfortunately, I've seen the brunt of some pretty gnarly uh, health experiences, Um, but due to some way of the world working, have uh, had these great partners along the way, like Jason Fung, um, that's helped me find this alternative, and that's led me to good health, that's enabled me to help others, and actually... Previous, before my move in Toronto, I was actually exposed to some terrible mold and some other terrible toxins that seemed to have taken a big toll on my health, actually, the last couple of years. And thanks to Ben and and some of his help in helping me point in the right direction, um, I'm starting to make great strides in recovering from that. And now I'm able to help pass along the message. So I owe a great deal to Ben as well.
0: My my pleasure, Megan. You, you you have transformed your health in the last couple of years. I've seen it. I, I continue to see it. That story is so powerful because, number one, how many people are still going to their doctor or dietitian and they're overweight, they have all these symptoms, but they don't have a weight problem, right? And the symptom is not necessarily the problem. It's a metabolic condition. It's cellular inflammation. There's an underlying condition, but they're doing the same thing they did to you, which is... You need to lose weight to get healthier. Why is that backwards? Why is it not that? Well, how does the body work? Do we get healthy to lose weight or do we lose weight to get healthy? How does it work, Megan? I
1: think we lose weight to, well, we have to get.
0: What I mean, (laughs) yeah, I'm confusing you. What I mean is if you get healthy, will the body lose weight?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you've got to target the underlying conditions here. And When it comes to metabolic syndrome, really toxic levels of insulin in the body are driving so many problems, all that cellular inflammation, all of the disease. And unless you address that, you're never gonna lose the weight. Sorry, I have scrambled brains from dealing with the DMV this morning.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about that. You were just at an American DMV for the first time. So you saw how the DMV rolled here. But you passed yeah. your, your test. Good job.
1: I did. I'm a licensed driver, so San Francisco Bay Area, watch out. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you, you've got to get healthy. And uh, we're actually, it's funny because we're doing a group fasting challenge over the fasting method right now, and it's actually, this challenge is being led by our community mentors. And I'm watching. They're doing sort of daily lessons, just sharing their story about how they all came to us with the goal of losing weight like that was the goal is a very vanity driven with a health component being there. And they realize that no, they've they've got to tackle their insulin resistance, they've got to treat their metabolic syndrome, that's the only way that they're going to lose the weight. And that that there's there's so many more health benefits beyond fitting in that, you know, size four, size six six pair of jeans. So you got to get healthy.
0: Yeah, and when you get healthy, to your point, then a side effect is you, you lose the weight, you get into those genes, and all the vanity mar- metrics take care of themself, yeah. themselves. themselves. Um, you know, I, I love a quote from, doc, from uh, Albert Einstein. He said, intellectuals solve problems. So that's kind of what you and Dr. Fung were doing. You were trying to solve problems, but it was after the fact. So intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. So the work that you are doing, Dr. Fung, are doing your whole fasting method team, uh formerly IDM are geniuses i mean i've learned so much honestly i've learned so much from you and dr fung when it comes to fasting i think you two are probably the leading authorities in the entire world the most well known uh you've done how many patients would you say combined the whole fasting method team with you dr fung How many patients have you put through a fasting protocol?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Someone was actually asking yesterday to confirm that number. And to date, it's just been over 20,000 people in the last decade that we've worked with, which is really cool. Uh, It's, you know, um, sometimes people, these are big changes. um, And they're changes that do impact other people in the household. Uh, so not everybody's ready at the start, perhaps, to make these changes, but uh, they've acknowledged that they need to. And it's been really great to see them acknowledge that and come back and get in good health. And, you know, we've, uh, but yeah, 20,000 people is not too bad. I mean, we started out in literally what was like a converted closet uh, or clinic in Toronto that had been converted into a little office because there just wasn't the space to see anybody but kidney patients. And then it started, then it transferred to my basement. And now it's just, uh, it's become, just really cool to help so many people.
0: Very cool. That's a lot of people. And you can, that that list is going to continue to pile up the people that you're helping. Is it true that most people technically are not dying from the diabetes type two, they're dying from the degeneration of it?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, uh, it totally, totally destroys you. Look at kidney disease, for example. I mean, it just absolutely causes so much inflammation. It prevents the kidneys from functioning at all with the inflammation. You can't do anything. Once the kidneys start to malfunction, it causes high blood pressure. So you get these people with blood pressures of 190 over 110. I mean, they're t- like they're a stroke on two legs at that point. Um, And then if they don't stroke out or don't have a cardiovascular event that's caused by the kidneys uh, function or decline in function, the kidneys totally decline. And then you either need a transplant, which is just in Canada is really difficult Um, You can be on the wait list for years, uh, like 18 years, um, if you don't have a living donor. Uh, And this is if you even meet the qualifications. So you need to be a a generally healthy individual uh, with the exception of your kidney disease to qualify for a transplant. So the majority of people aren't because of their diabetes. And then if you're a diabetic on dialysis, your life expectancy is three years. If you're non-diabetic and it's obese related and you don't qualify for a transplant because of obesity, your life expectancy is about five years on dialysis at that point. And I'll never forget our director of nephrology called me into his office. He's like, Megan, this woman goes for her assessment in three months to qualify for a transplant. She has a live donor but she's too overweight and her blood sugar levels are out of control. She's never going to get approved, even with a live donor. So he's like, in three months, I need her blood sugars and better. I need her off insulin. Her glucose has got to be stable. Like her everything, like her liver function has got to be better. She's got to be down like 30 pounds. Um, and I mean, this is this is how diabetes gets you. Like this is where diabetes put that woman. We're literally having a discussion of what we can do in the next three months to decide whether or not she, like if, to try to give her the opportunity to live or to die, you know, to have that chance. And it, it's really heartbreaking to see how diabetes just literally poisons, poisons the body.
0: It is heartbreaking and it's preventative. Uh, you could prevent it, it's a lifestyle disease that is commonly treated with medication, but there's a huge, huge mismatch. So it should be treated with lifestyle changes. So let's focus the conversation, Megan, on how keto, low carb, higher fats, lower carb, could actually help our metabolism, but could help reverse some of these conditions. So we could start with this conversation. How does fasting come into play? Yeah. Why do you love low carb and fasting and how does it help with these conditions?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely the dynamic duo. So let me perhaps dive into how we develop metabolic syndrome. So metabolic syndromes, you know, how we, when we have it, we're at risk for developing type two diabetes, cardiovascular system or cardiovascular disease. We have weight gain, especially around our our midsections. But what most people don't realize is that there's another term that is uh, synonymous with metabolic syndrome. And so that's insulin resistance. So insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome, you can use them interchangeably, but people don't, and I don't know why, because insulin resistance actually talks about the root cause of of the metabolic syndrome. It is the root cause of it. Uh, It's the root cause of diabetes, obesity, the metabolic cancers, the PCOS, the fatty liver. So in insulin resistance, we develop insulin resistance via two main pathways. So pathway number one is we eat a diet uh, that is especially high in processed and refined carbs or is very carb heavy. Uh, our whole food, our food pyramid in the US or Canadian food guideline, I've seen them from all over the world. They're all carb heavy. And when uh, foods that we eat are carb heavy, they're low in natural fats. But then the fats that we eat, especially here in North America, we eat processed and refined fats too. And when we eat these processed and refined carbs and a carb heavy diet and a diet full of inflammatory processed and refined fats, our body produces a lot of insulin in response to that particular diet. So what happens is we eat this diet. is what we eat all day long, seven days a week, 365 days a year. This is what the authorities are telling us to eat. And we were told to just eat a lot all day long. So we're eating tons and tons and tons of processed and refined carbs and refined fats, producing this like t- spikes in insulin all day long, these toxic levels of insulin. And we develop a con- toxic uh, levels of insulin leading to a condition called hyperinsulinemia, which over time leads to the development of insulin resistance. So again, pathway number one, we eat in a way that causes our body just to produce way too much insulin. And this is where a diet that's high in healthy natural fats and low in carbohydrates, like a very low carb diet or a ketogenic diet, well, this is where it's fairly really helpful. Because when you eat a diet that's high in healthy, natural fats, and that is low in carbohydrates, and you're really getting rid of those processed refined fats and processed refined carbs, you're not going to be producing a ton of insulin, a very, very small amount of insulin in response to this diet. So when you eat a low carb or ketogenic diet, when you have too much insulin in the body, you're not adding more fuel to the fire. So you're, it's like pouring water on the fire, but when you eat this like high carb, especially processed and refined carbs and fats, it's like pouring gasoline on the fire. So your bodies are full of too much insulin as it is, and when you go low carb and keto, you're not adding more fuel to that fire. So that's a great place to get started is with the ketogenic diet. We don't wanna add fuel to the fire. We also develop insulin resistance by a second pathway, and that's just a chronic stimulus of insulin throughout the day. So just uh, everything we eat, our body is gonna produce a little bit of insulin in response. Um, And even if it's not a lot of insulin, like an insulin surge after having a bowl of pasta, um, for example, that chronic little bit of insulin constantly throughout the day Well, that's problematic and at the end of the day, adds up being still a lot of insulin. I always talk about this knocking on the door situation. So we're at home, we're working, and imagine you had like 100 people show up at your front door, how scary and overwhelming that would be. That's like eating a really high processed and refined carb meal. But imagine you're working from home and every 45 minutes, an hour, someone comes and knocks on your door. It's really annoying. It's really frustrating. It's really disruptive towards your day. Just still your day will end up being as disturbed as whether or not you had a hundred people knock at your door. So this chronic stimulus of insulin, this also leads to the development of metabolic syndrome and type two diabetes and insulin resistance. So this is where fasting and being uh, mindful of your eating patterns not just what you eat but when you eat play a role. And then another thing to consider as to why fasting is really helpful in this picture is that when you already have pretty moderate to severe insulin resistance and in your body at that point it is going to produce insulin all on its own in response to that insulin resistance. So insulin resistance itself drives the secretion of insulin. So what we do see is a lot of people that, have, uh, gone low carb or have gone ketogenic, they do really well. Like this is a diet I definitely follow. I keto flex as Ben likes to talk about. I, I think that's keto flexing is the way. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely keto flex in my diet. So I do some carb cycling. Um, But when you have insulin resistance, your body's going to be adding its own insulin. So it's good that you go low-carbon keto, but when people do this, we often find that they lose 50 of that 80 pounds, or they can come off their diabetic medication, but they can't get that A1C in that ideal range, right? Like they'll drop their A1C, that diabetic marker, to 5.8, but damn it, why can't they get it under 5.2 where we really want it for optimal health? and they kind of feel broken, but their insulin resistance is still causing insulin secretion, perpetuating that insulin resistance. So what Jason and I do is we largely focus on this population, and we focus on more therapeutic fasting at this point, when the insulin resistance is so strong, it's causing insulin secretion and perpetuating itself regardless of where the, the diet is at that point. And so we work with these individuals and we do more therapeutic fasting protocols and therapeutic in the sense they're typically we focus on full day fast uh, three times a week. So we'll do 36, 42, 48 hours of fasting um, two to three times a week with the individuals we work with. And when we suppress the insulin down so low by not eating or consuming fluids like water, for example, that are not going to cause insulin secretion for these periods of time, anything that's beyond what's required for physiological survival, we're actually able to suppress the insulin down long enough to actually help break the cycle of insulin resistance in this population of individuals who Uh, who are struggling with more moderate to severe insulin resistance. And this is where fasting can really help break the cycle. So definitely for the insulin resistant patient, we work with the ketogenic diet because when you're fasting, you don't want to be undoing that. You don't want to be adding more fuel to the fire when you're not fasting and undoing some of that good work that the fasting is doing. So using them in conjunction. And once we've made some really good process, we'll start keto flexing, we'll start carb cycling a bit with very particular carbohydrates like Ben, uh, ben talks about. And this is where we, we really like to go with patients. But that's how fasting plays in the role. That's how low carb in our approach plays into the role as well.
0: Fantastic explanation. So snacking, even if it's the healthiest snack in the world, will create an insulin response and it'll be like that person. I love the analogy. That person, you're working from home, you're happy about working from home. That damn person keeps knocking on your door every 10 minutes, every 30 minutes. It's annoying. It's going to frustrate you. Well, it's going to frustrate your body when you're snacking all the time. You're going to have to rely on the snack. So much better to achieve metabolic flexibility like Megan spoke about. But those who are already doing fasting, those who are not necessarily new to keto, let's talk a little bit about some advanced strategies. you mentioned, Megan, 48 hour fasting. On an interview I did with you, you also mentioned the 32, I think 16 method. I want you to get into that real quick. What are some advanced strategies, the 32, 16 method? How does somebody do that?
1: Yeah, so what we find is a lot of people feel really comfortable eating one meal a day. Uh, and they'll often eat the same meal every day. So it's kind of like doing a 20 to 24 hour fast on a routine basis. But we find this isn't a lot of variation. And one of the things that human beings are really good at is acclimating. And we found that fasting is most successful when there is quite a lot of variation. And we're always leaving the body guessing. So we like to mix it up and not do the same thing day in and day out. But sometimes doing these more therapeutic ranges of fasting that I did mention, like a 36 or a 42 or 48 hour fast, that's overwhelming. And it's not always necessary either to do such, such uh, long periods of fasting. So we've tried to find a new approach that makes one meal a day more effective. So this is where the whole 3016 protocol comes in. And this means you do eat one meal a day, but you never eat at the same time or the same meal time every day. So one strategy we have found is that We'll alternate between eating lunch one day and dinner the next. Alternatively, you could do breakfast and lunch or a late breakfast, early lunch, and an early dinner. That would be more of our preference to not be eating late at night, but you got to fit it into your lifestyle. So doing a 30-16 hour fast, for example, Monday you would have lunch, Tuesday you would have dinner, Wednesday you would have lunch. So Monday lunch to Tuesday dinner is 30 hours. Tuesday dinner to Wednesday lunch is about 16 hours. Now, give or take a couple of hours uh, to fit it into your lifestyle. But the point is you're just not eating that same meal every day. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you might have lunch. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you have dinner. And then Sunday you can really use as a flex day to either eat more or to fast more. And we encourage people to really mix it up on that day, just to really throw the body off. And this has been a wonderful one meal a day approach that has resulted in great strides in improving insulin resistance, getting those metabolic health markers in check, seeing blood pressure come down, uh, and of course, leading to fat loss.
0: Awesome tip right there. I I love it because... When you change the schedule, vary the schedule, you're in keto, you're flexing out of keto, and thank you, Megan, for using the keto flex terminology <laughs> and for writing an amazing excerpt for the book. But when you change things up, it's you're, you're making the body adapt. It's like going to the gym. You wouldn't do the same workout yes. over and over and over. You begin to plateau, same thing. So what an amazing advanced strategy for those of you who are already fasting. Again, we'll talk more about how to get started with it. Um, Tolu, if you wanna ask Megan a question, I see you back in the studio, just turn your camera on and I'll bring you on here. But I have a question for you, Megan. You mentioned fasting could burn down blood sugars, eating low carb, high fat could burn down blood sugars. What are some other ways? Let's say somebody has been doing keto. They've been doing fasting, but their fasting glucose is still 115 and 125. still taking some time. So what are other things we could incorporate to accelerate the burning down of those blood sugars?
1: Yeah, so, you know, first of all, we talk about on our fasting days, um, people tend to perhaps be a little bit too liberal with something we call fasting training wheels. Now, the ultimate fasting fluid of course is water um, <laughs>
2: and,
1: and water and salt but sometimes you know people get a little bit too generous in terms of giving themselves some fat perhaps to make a boost so we'll usually look at tidying those things up and then on eating days tidying up any snacking or inappropriate meal etiquette really making sure people aren't using a blocks of cheese and handfuls of nuts as meal substitutes uh, and it's not a, tough it is a tough one. It's a tough one because I like, and it's busy. I, I get it, especially for women with kids and dads with kids. They're the only ones home. They're cooking. They're working. Um, often, block of cheese and a handful of nuts to them. They think is a healthy dinner, and it's not. Uh, So we try to work on those strategies always first, but things that can help get people through a fasting day uh, and make it a little bit more tolerant is adding apple cider vinegar that you had mentioned as part of your electrolyte solution earlier today. That is the acetic acid is a wonderful appetite suppressant and it does have some positive benefits on your glucose levels as well. One thing that I found and you, I know you were talking about this earlier today and I just wanna reinforce your message here is the importance of taking electrolytes, of getting in that sodium. Like I am sitting next to literally a handful of salt (laughs) tablets, right? Yeah, Um, you gotta gotta get it in or your body, that's a lot of stress on your body if you're dehydrated. Hydration's not just water. Um, It is electrolytes as well. So that is something that can really help. And if your body is in a state of stress when you're fasting, you're not going to see that improvement in your glucose levels. So you've got to be diligent with your electrolytes. And then there's other things. We found that bitter melon tea is really good. Nettle leaf tea is very good. Um, using cinnamon um, can help, and you don't have to be on an eating day. You can add cinnamon in. You can take uh, like organic cinnamon sticks and boil them in hot water, for example, and drink that water on your fasting day. So some of these herbal things have great benefits. Mint, peppermint, for example, has been used as a great appetite suppressant that does have some benefits at helping to reduce your glucose level, and it makes fasting a lot more. Easy, since it's such a really fantastic appetite suppressant. And then things like mint tea, for example, that don't have caffeine, there's no caffeine. So you can really drink at any time of the day, especially when that insulin level does creep up a bit at nighttime. You know, for insulin sensitive individuals, we can ignore it. But for those with insulin resistance, even a little bit of insulin creep in the evening time can make us very ravenously hungry. So mint tea, something that can help suppress the hunger cravings at that point. And then of course, you know, in terms of, lowering glucose levels, getting moving. Uh, you can't mm-hmm. go wrong with movement. So getting in some movement throughout the day. And really when people are fasting and they start to feel sluggish and uh, you know, of course making sure you're diligent with your electrolytes. But one of the best fasting hacks is just to actually get moving. Like mm-hmm. unless you're feeling very unwell, Get up, get moving. I've got a rebounder. I'll bounce for five minutes. It can totally bring you back to life on a fasting day. Go for a walk, even just doing laundry and the movement of that, getting moving, getting active, doing push ups, doing like even off your counter, doing push ups, doing some squats. All of that that you can do at home can have a really profound impact in how you feel and it can help lower your blood sugar levels too.
0: What an amazing, I hope you guys wrote that down. So, Betty. I'm going to get you on here. Let's ask a question. Let's be quick so we can get through all three. So, hey, Betty.
1: Hey, Megan. So nice to meet you. This is awesome. Big fan. Jason, too. Listen, I am 70 years old, just turned. I have followed your advice. It has cured many, many things for me. All my blood work is now on the normal range. I have this last 12 pounds to go. Your feelings on fasting, I usually practice 18.6, 16.8, 18.6, 16.8, 24. Um, I kind of mix it up. For my age, I've also up my protein, medium fat, low carb, always under 20 total. So your feelings on the age and what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely great fasting strategies, Betty. I'll tell you, the mid- <laughs> majority of the individuals, Jason, I saw in the clinic were between the ages of 60 and 80, and we would often have to get quite quite aggressive because by the time we would see... Uh, individuals, there's a lot of health that have built up or health issues. So we go quite aggressive with fasting. It sounds like you've had really awesome results with fasting and uh, your nutrition, your low carb keto strategies, and you've really made some great headway. I love for maintenance mode, really mixing it up with uh, the 16, 18, 24 hour fast, and just really fitting it into your life. That's exactly how I do it too, Betty. So if I have to Time for lunch. I'll have it and do sixteen hours, and if I don't, then I do twenty-four hours. And I think it's a great maintenance strategy.
0: Thank you, Betty. Be like Betty. Hey, Caleb. How
3: are you? Um, good to see you, Ben. Megan, thank you for sharing today. Love uh, the information you shared. Awesome story and um, awesome analogy about the the people knocking on the door and hundred people. Like I never really thought about eating all all day like that. So I appreciate you sharing that. That made it very opened up and shared some light on, on the situation when you're eating and it makes it a lot clearer, easier to understand. So that's awesome. I appreciate that.
0: Thank, Thank you. So. Uh,
3: my, my question. So you deal with a lot of pre-diabetic diabetic patients. and sounds like you've had a lot of success with thousands of people. How would you go about introducing fasting or keto to someone who is pre-diabetic or diabetic or has other health issues? Um, and present them with fasting and uh, Keto.
1: Yeah, so it can be really overwhelming if people aren't receptive to it. Uh, my home my mother was one of those people, right? She always, her doctors, they were the closest things to gods walking on the earth. Um, and they were giving a very different advice than her own daughter. And so some people are really open-minded about it. Uh, but some individuals, you're not quite sure how you're going to react. So I found one of the best ways to just approach people in general, especially if you didn't know what side they were going to be on um, and think you're crazy or maybe this is interesting. is just to really talk about not snacking, like bring it back to the leave it to beaver days, you know, and say, hey, you know, beaver, he didn't go to school with tons of snacks, right? And he wasn't allowed to eat. That would never go over in June Cleaver's house. He wasn't allowed to eat before dinner because that uh, that would ruin his appetite. And he wasn't allowed to eat after dinner because that meant he didn't eat enough of the good, real food on his plate. And I think everybody, like <laughs> with the exception of like maybe like our generation, being younger and just always eating and always seeing people eat. But individuals like our aunts, our uncles, our parents, um, grandparents, like they all remember that time, you know, like my father wasn't allowed to eat before dinner. Uh, You know, he had to save his appetite for his meal. So they remember going those days of just eating three square meals and cutting out snacking. So that's generally the approach that I focus on with individuals when it comes to fasting. Hey. Let's just try to go back to the basics here. How our grandparents and great-grandparents and even parents ate growing up. I mean, they clearly survived, uh, so we're here. Um, So we talk about just cutting out the snacking as the simplest step. There's a huge return on investment in just doing that. Um, And it's a lot less daunting than jumping in and doing something like a 24-hour fast. And at the same time with these individuals, you know, really not focusing on what they can't eat, really focusing on what they can eat. Hey, they told you forever that something like eggs were bad for you. Well, you can embrace eggs now. So really focusing on these cool foods or like uh, just like like the fatty cuts of beef and things that, you know, that are really delectable that they enjoy and really focus on that and try to have it in the diet frequently and focusing on those positive things. And usually when people start to combine both, they're not that hungry. So then it makes trying those longer fasting periods, if they need them, it makes it easier to do so.
0: Great tip. One last question, uh, Tina, who I actually met in um, California, actually San Francisco area last month. So, hey, Tina.
2: Hi, Dan. good to see you again. I'm up at Lake Tahoe. I'm going for a walk here along Nevada Beach. So
0: thank you for bringing
2: me on. Megan, I followed your work for a long time, love you. Um, My question is this, I'm a 60 year old female um, who developed some pretty significant peripheral neuropathy about four or five years ago During the time, I was taking care of a seriously ill husband. And since he passed away, I've I've been working with a neurologist. We've been able to kind of focus the cause down to either Charcot-Marie-Tooth syndrome, which is a genetic disease. But more than likely, it was because of really poor nutrition during that time. And by going keto, carnivore, focusing on nutrition, doing B12 shots, I've really helped That's really helped bring it to a manageable level. So my question to you is this: I'm I'm fairly underweight. Um, I'm at almost at a normal weight now, and I fast maybe 12 to 13 hours most days. I do a a two to three meal day. Some days I'll do a 16 hour fast, and every so often I'll do a 24 hour fast. If I fast too much, my weight drops. But I'm wondering if some extended fast will also help with stem cell recovery and this neuropathy. And if so, how can I approach that without losing any more weight? So that's my question.
1: Thanks Tina. I, you know, I've worked with a lot of pro athletes recovering from injury uh, or surgery. And so a lot of them, you know, 9% body fat, 7% body fat, um, but in order to get the inflammation benefits that they're hoping for and the autophagy, that cellular uh, recycling that they're hoping for. I mean, we're looking at 36 hours of fasting at least a couple times a week, especially in their, their recovery time frames. They're like half of the normal population because their livelihoods depend on their physical activity. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to be sitting out for too long. So we usually increase their fat intake on their uh eating days by about another 15 to 20% as well, Uh, maybe depending uh, on their protein uh, intakes might change that. But we'll usually wait to see how their symptoms are. Are they struggling with hunger, uh, what their energy levels are mental fog, because most of them have um, have certain preconceived notions of how much protein that they should be having. So that can be a rocky road sometimes. So we'll pay attention to those symptoms to see if they need more protein in the diet and then just personalize it towards them. And we'll do these longer fasts. But yeah, the, you know, increasing the fat by 15 to 20%. That's not even hard. You know, it's a couple tablespoons of great olive oil, like Ben was talking about, um, extra fatty meat, you know, uh, to uh, some eggs, you know, cooked in some really good ghee or, or coconut oil. So there's it's easy to get in that extra bit of fat. At this point, I'm sure you find that it's not that difficult to get your fat in. Other things we found that's great with neuropathy course is being diligent with magnesium um epsom salt baths are really wonderful and a great uh way to get in some magnesium like there's some weird stuff going on about it online right now some really weird um Research coming out that kind of is mind blowing to me. I, and when I look at the research, it's actually really power quality. Like, we used to supplement orally with a lot of our patients in Toronto, never saw improvements in their magnesium. As soon as we started doing Epsom salt foot baths, or baths and foot soaps, I saw those RBC magnesium levels go up and the symptoms improve, so that's really helpful. Um, and then getting the circulation going, um, so the, like move, like rebounding is great for circulation. Dry brushing, working with a massage therapist, and acupuncture, um, I found to be all really beneficial in our patient population for neuropathy.
2: Great. Right. Have you found neuropathy to be able to
1: um, be reversed? It depends. Uh, You can definitely make it better. Uh, It just depends on the severity of it. Um, We've had people that say that it's, they're able to manage it to the point that they don't know that they have it, you know, through diet and nutrition and these lifestyle interventions, even if they go away for a month and can't. Go to mis- go for a massage or away from their Fs and salts. They're fine. They're happy gallivanting around Europe and hiking all over. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but there's some individuals who do struggle. But the it are it's a lot more tolerable.
0: <laughs> Megan, thank you for going overtime with us. The, uh-huh. We're not done with the live stream yet, so everybody stay. I'm going to get into the Q and A, but I want to just give uh, Megan a, a big thank you. Everybody thank Megan in the chat box. As a thank you, you can go get her book. You're going to benefit. From it, so go get her book, Life in the Fasting Lane. Uh, thank you for what you do in this world. You're a great friend of mine, a great mentor of mine, and a great inspiration. And you are so valuable to me and to the community. And thank you for today, Megan.
1: Oh, thanks, Ben. So thank you so much for having me on. And uh, just thank you. You're a great friend as well. And I look forward to uh, chatting with you again soon uh, on our end of things. But thank you, everybody who is here today. I appreciate your questions. And uh, thank you.
0: And the best place to check you out is thefastingmethod.com?
1: Yeah, you can find all of of our links and everything over there.
0: So thefastingmethod.com. I know you're doing a webinar that I'm going to be on soon. So (laughs) be a part of that. And thank you again, Megan. You were awesome today.
1: Thanks, Ben. Bye, everybody.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Megan Ramos. What you heard at the end were the VIP members of that previous challenge. They upgraded to VIP, and they had the opportunity to ask Megan their questions on the live stream. So that's what you heard. Those questions were great. If you sign up as VIP for this current challenge, you'll get the same opportunity with myself and our future guests. So if you want to join, head to ketocampchallenge.com. We would love to have you in it. We are running this challenge right now until September 14th. Go check out Megan Ramos to fastingmethod.com. Go follow her on Instagram, all of our social media profiles. We'll drop a link for it down below. Share this episode with a friend if you found it useful. Leave the show a rating and review on an Apple podcast, and I'll see you on the next episode.